Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight we have some very interesting topics to discuss, some of them hot off the press and some of them not even on the press yet. I don't know where we go with everything, but we try to follow up most of the things that come across our desk. So I want to share a few of the items that I saw recently. I think... uh, You'll have a lot of uh, benefit from it. Just to give you a couple of titles, one is about a gentleman uh, who was on the airline and was served, uh, uh, he had uh, a, a milk, uh, sorry, coffee, that was a dairy issue, we'll discuss it. I'm not sure the details, I, I sent an email to him to corroborate it. And then I have a story about a gentleman who was traveling from uh, Tokyo, Japan, and he was served a meal that has questionable kashmas on it. We'll mention that one. And then we're going to talk about Israel. We're going to t- discuss, first, America. We're going to discuss some real numbers on kosher products. We'll discuss some things on Israel, in particular about uh, the mashkichim over there. And then, uh, we're going to discuss a certain uh, maverick rabbi and his uh, his ideas of kashmas. Uh, not going to be able to mention his name, but we'll get some ideas. And then uh, we're going to uh, discuss the uh, then discuss the impossible foods, impossible burger, which is an interesting topic, and you'll see more about it when we get there. It's really quite an exciting topic, the the impossible burger. So let's start first with the uh, the email that I got t- today. I'll read it to you. On a recent transatlantic flight, I went to the back kitchen area to make a cup of coffee. Having poured the contents of the sachet in cup, it looked like an odd color. Upon further investigation, the ingredients stated may contain milk. This is a problem even with those passengers who are makel on cholavacum as the origins and are not in the USA. In, in other words, this uh, product is not made in the USA, in which case uh, many people hold that the heta that Moshe Feinstein had about uh, relying on uh, uh, the government of America to protect us against having non-kosher milk, so that even though there's no Jew watching the production of the of the regular milk in America. The assumption is, what Moshe Feinstein has, it's a uh, you know pretty uh, pretty much guarantee that the government is is controlling that we don't have any non-kosher animal milk here in the United States, unless you go to some specialty store and buy it for twenty dollars and for ten ounces or something. But you're talking about regular uh, regular milk, you wouldn't be able to find. With that. So that's the, the Ramosha held that that was what you could do if you didn't have anything else. Although most people who didn't really learn Ramosha's chuvas, they, they misunderstand, and they think Ramosha said it's a heter. You can use chal of stam. It's not really correct. Every single chuva Ramosha wrote, every one that's published, and I think there was three or four, I can't remember if it was four or three, three for sure, maybe a fourth also, and each one of them he said that it's Kedai to be Machmir. In some cases, he said it's uh, for Yeshiva, even though it's a loss of money, it's very important for them to know that the, that, you're, that you then spend extra money for Cheshash Iser, even though it's a minor 
possibility, but it's a cheshash isa according to Moshe, and he didn't make light of Chol of Israel. It's a very, very big misunderstanding. People, Moshe's hetter. It'd be nice if some of the people would learn it in the, in the inside or get their rabbis to explain it to them. It definitely does it change the situation when you study it and you see what he was not giving camp blanche. It seemed to be in the situations where you couldn't get the Chol Yisrael easily. Um, as I told this story, I hear a few, at least once or twice. I'm not going to tell it a million times, but I remember I, I did tell it once or twice, but maybe it's a couple of years ago. When, when we were in yeshiva... In the younger years, so the Rosh Yeshiva of Kanarik, who was Rabbi Israel Kanarik, who was the head of the Yeshiva or Mayor, which in those years it was in New Rochelle, not where it is currently. And in, uh, in Orham Mayor, he was the, the Rav Kanarik was very uh, much uh, appreciative of a coffee with a milk. He always had. I, I remember in the afternoon always having a coffee with milk, and I probably had one in the morning too. I'm guessing. I'm not. I don't know. But I remember in the afternoon we saw him take a coffee with milk. And uh, when we didn't have Chol of Israel, because we somebody brought it up from the city, from from Brooklyn, and if he didn't come, bad weather, whatever, winter weather, so he didn't come. So then the Rosh Hashiva said, "Okay, now go out and buy Chol of Stam," and we were able to go out to the store and buy Chol of Stam products. This one, milk, uh, cheese, or whatever it was, anything we wanted to buy, we bought the Schalov Stam with our Hersha. But um, there was nothing available in regular milk, and he held that that's the Hetter of Moshe's Hetter applies. When we got milk back, so he, that Hetter was off, and uh, a lot of the boys uh, refused to finish up what they had. You know, that's it, there's no Hetter anymore. But as far as the Rosh Hashivah's Atzal, he wouldn't have the he wouldn't have the uh, the milk with the coffee. His kids he let eat, have the milk the chol stam, but he wouldn't do it. And and, and he took Rav Moshe's hatter. He understood Rav Moshe's hatter. Personally, he didn't want to follow it if he didn't need it. He can live without it. Not a kid, but young people growing up need food and need this and that. Who can eat cereal without milk? So then, this was the, the reason why we we were told that that was that was it. So that was that's where Moshe's had to, only where it's not easily available. Anyway, let's not get lost in that tonight. Today we have plenty to do. Uh, so he, this gentleman said that he seems to. I, I don't get the whole story because I didn't uh, speak to him and I just emailed him back with a few questions. But it seems to be that there was a concern that the sachets, the little things they give you. On an airplane or another place, they hand you a packet. Oh, it's just coffee. Read the ingredients. Don't get flustered. When you're in a different environment, read the ingredients. When you're in a place and you haven't seen you see something new, you didn't read the ingredients. Look for the hashkocha. Don't be fooled. It's so common today for people to be fooled. I'll tell you what's happening in the world. It wasn't like this years ago. Used to be there was a thing called a kosher company. It means to say this, this candy company, this uh, this cookie company, this nosh company, this whatever it is, it's a kosher company. Then we see that occasionally, well, they also produce something else. They started producing more and more foods because to be competitive, 
They needed a big supply of different types of products, different flavors, different types, different people to get the space on the shelf. So what they did was they uh, it, they started making things, and the Hashkacha said, we can't give that Hashkacha on that. Okay, we'll do it without your Hashkacha. So they had products coming into the store, getting put on shelves, sometimes in from stores, coming in with no Hashkacha on it, not kosher. Not kosher. Not even that. No, it's kosher. Not kosher. Same name company. People were always used to using. Well, we, we got used to that already. You know, oh, I got to look, see in the type, whatever it is. So I'm going to look for this kind of cookie. I know it's okay. But this cookie, I got to check it. Let me see. Does it have a hashkoch on the back? Oh, okay. Yeah, I can eat it. No, no it doesn't have it. Okay, I'm leaving it. That's what we got to. Got much more confusing. I remember the Snapple line. The Snapple line was terrible. I don't know what it's up to now. I haven't seen it in a while. But the Snapple line, it, they were that we were told, if it doesn't have the okay, it's not kosher. It's the same exact name product. It's the same packaging. The same everything. Sometimes with the okay, sometimes without the okay. This this happened because they were doing in the product, they were producing things that were not kosher, and they don't always have a, a person from the OK staff there. So they said, well, we're here, you can put the OK on. When you're not here, you can't put the OK on. And and that's the setup that they had. And the same thing happens in Beechnut. The OU had, Beechnut makes tray for food, no question about it. So what they were doing was they were they were running Things on the same line, and if it had an OU on it, it uh, then it was a kosher run. And if it didn't have the OU on it, it was run on the trafe equipment. So you, the only way to know is to look for the symbol every single time, not once, every time. And stores again and again and again till today, they're still carrying. Oh, I didn't realize it. Oh, oh, they sent it with the other ones. Yeah, but whose fault is it ultimately? It's your fault. There was a product I had discussed it here. I, I, I don't think I wrote up about it because it's a little sensitive. It has a it had a Hamish Ashkocha, which means it had a national Ashkocha too, but it had a Hamish Ashkocha and a national Ashkocha. Then the Hamish Ashkocha was no longer on the product after a while. I don't know, two years, five years. I don't know whatever it was, but there was no uh, there was no Hamish Ashkocha uh, on it. It was back to the regular Ashkocha that was on it from the national Ashkocha, but it was being carried in all the from stores. And the people that were used to buying it were buying it, not realizing that it changed its standards, or at least that the let's say there's no added hashkacha, there's no hamish hashkacha on it. Well, they didn't know that. No one fooled them. They just didn't look at the labels. The store owner should have used a little seichel also, but they didn't. So okay, that's his problem, and you know, stop shop someplace else if you like. But the, but but he, you're ultimately you're the one who's providing the food for your family and for yourself. It's not the store owner. The store owners always used to have non kosher products or products with adashkoch on it. I mean, come on, it's our responsibility, not theirs. You can't blame. You can blame them. Okay, uh, to a certain extent, you say you should be careful. Okay, fine. But ultimately, it's your responsibility not to take it into your house, and your responsibility not to serve it. And many people just. I assumed. Don't assume. You're in a new place. Think. This person, um, as a gentleman, he, he, he's a thinking person. 
he caught it. I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm just letting you know this thing. And, th- and that's why it's important on a plane to be, or in any place, when you're out of your own environment, and even when you're in your environment, but certainly when you're out of your own environment, don't make assumptions. Oh, it was always kosher. I have a kosher in my house. Yeah, you have it. Sometimes the store owner is trying to help you, and he gets a product with an additional Hamish Ashkacha, and you go to another store, and they don't have that Hamish Ashkacha. Now, is it the same thing? No, 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 no. It's not the same thing. Could be the same, could not be, but that's the Hashkacha's work. In other words, if you don't make any assumptions, read the ingredients. Everybody says that. Now, I brought to this unbelievable story, which I don't know the end of it either. If I find the end of it, oh, I got to tell you the end of one story. I forgot to tell you that one, so let me tell you the end of that story now. Uh, we, we were talking about the um, a gentleman who's in a, uh, who has a co-op apartment in a, in a co-op apartment building. And the uh, the co-op board decided to save money, and they what they did was they got special um, dimmers that that make the lights go low and then go up again, and it's controlled by movement. It's it's a, it, it's a sensitive to the movement. So when somebody comes out of his apartment, the lights go up, and when he, and when it goes away, it's not in that area anymore. The lights go down. They don't go off. I mean, legally, they get in trouble, and it's dangerous. So they, they don't do that. The lights don't go off, but they go dimmer. They're not needed as much. And then we'll, somebody will walk into that area again. It'll go up. And then that, when they walk away, it goes down. It's motion detective uh, 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 reaction, and it, it changes the whole thing. So there were four people who were from an apartment, the, the co-ops. The rest of them are not from. So... Not Jewish, whatever. But the four from people, they said, well, it's not right. So the uh, the co-op board went and got some rabbi, rabbinic support for what they did, which they didn't identify. And these people were struggling. They got a rov in the community. The rov gave a letter saying that it's not it's usher to go to, to you know to walk in front of that thing, which al it's hard to say. It's really awesome. It's it's a, it's a question about nichale. I'm not going to get into the topic now, but it's a question mark on on the whole thing, which is legitimate question mark. Some the, the other rabbis that the co-op board asked said that it was based upon a truth from Rav Osner. They think that it should be mutter. It's a discussion. I'm not for tonight. But anyway, uh, Baruch Hashem, the sof pasuk is that the board backed down. Now, these were four people, and they could have made what we call a fight. They could have made a legal challenge. I don't know if they'd be successful, but they could have made it. They talked about it. They didn't do it. They decided they're going to go straight, appeal to their senses, that the concerns that they had about Shabbos, and whether the board itself was Shomer Shabbos people or not Shomer Shabbos, I personally don't know. I'm probably not. I don't know if they're Jewish or not. I don't know what the details are. But they decided to give in to these four people, and they're going to try to get an arrangement where they'll be able to use a dimmer during the week. And on Shabbos, they wouldn't be able to use this dimmer thing. That's the plan, and uh, hopefully it'll go through. The point why I'm bringing it up is, is people have to be aware. 
the things happening around them and changing, and that, again, we can do something. And don't think just because we're in the absolute minority that you can't affect the change, you can affect the change. Now, let's go on to the story which just hit the press. This is a story from last week. I doubt that anybody's listening here heard of it. It's the wild. It's a wild story. It's it's what's wild about it is, I don't know what the answer is. I also wrote emails about this, so if I get an answer, I'll believe that or I'll let everybody know because this is a wild story. We had uh, we mentioned the story here, and I did a special in the magazine on it. A gentleman who I know very very well, who had been going back to Israel, to where he lives in Israel, and going back there. And they served him a meal with a good hashkocha on it, and it was aboard a, a, a major airline, not not El Al, major airline. And <clears throat> the, and the food uh, said on it the name of hashkocha, the name of the caterer. And then he started eating it, and it tasted strange. And he looked at the packaging, and it seemed like underneath that label was a label on the food itself. And he started reading that, and he almost fainted because it said there has pig in there. Not, not maybe, not, not, the same, not in the same building, not in the same facility. Is There's pork in there. And then it said that there's meat there, regular meat and milk, basar, becholov, and dova acher, in one meal with a glatt kosher caterer name on the top, and a national, well, famous hashkocha on the top, and that's what it said, but inside it was treif gomer. I don't know if I told you the end of the story. The end of the story is the airlines gave him what he, what he told me was a, a small uh, settlement. Whatever it was, I think it was in the low, I, mean, I don't want to give numbers. My guess is between $1,000 and $2,000 because that's the kind of settlements they were giving to other people. But the, he did pursue it with them, and something came across, and at least they know that, this, that, that people are concerned. But this story I'm going to read to you now, which is very short, is, is really very interesting. And it opens up a whole slew of things that we should be thinking about. I mean, everybody. Listen to this story. If you want to see it somewhere, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. The, I'll read you the intro, and then you could find it anywhere you want. Shellfish found in Bethdin certified British Airways meal. Jewish passenger was dismayed after finding shellfish in the ingredients <laughs> in his based in approved kosher meal. It doesn't say there's any. We don't when we don't know that there's any trafe in there. The 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 line that in, they start off with definitely sounds like it's it was really trafe. We don't know if it's trafe or not. Shellfish found in baked and certified British Airway meal, but then it tells you that he was con, he was concerned because he found shellfish listed in the ingredients of his based in approved kosher meal on a flight from Tokyo. All right. A disgruntled, and we have the name of the person. I don't mind meeting it because uh, he, he's, uh, he's, he's uh, saving us. A, a, a disgruntled dentist, and he got it publicized so he doesn't mind. A disgruntled dentist, Dennis Kushner, K-R-U-S-H-N-E-R. If, you, if we Google it, I'm sure you're going to come up with him. He's an interesting man. You're going to see in a second. A disgruntled Dennis Kushner 
complained after finding shellfish in his food. Uh, that, that's what it says here. Now, here's, the, here's where it starts off um, the actual article. Dennis Kushner, who designed the UK's first telephone interviewing software. So the man is a, is a capable individual. He did design the, the UK's first telephone interviewing software for microcomputers in the 1980s. And I remember the 1980s. Everything was just beginning then. And he was on the top of the, uh, the pile at that time. He complained to British Airways about the meal, which was sourced in Lyon, that's France, and bore a kosher certificate from the Lyon Basin. Okay. Krushner's, this is the meal that he got, the name of it, Mediterranean Salmon Meal. Sounds Mediterranean Salmon, okay. It contained fish stock. Like they have uh, chicken stock and beef stock, they have chicken stock, chicken, I'm sorry, fish stock from, from fish. The ingredients inside were shellfish and mollusk. Both of them, that's what mollusk is also in, shellfish. So in other words, in the, in the ingredients of the fish stock were treif. Now, I'm reading a quote, and then, then I have something that's not clear at all to me. So I'll read the quote, and then I'll tell you my problem afterwards. I contacted, contacted British Airways. This is, this, I'm sorry, this is Mr. Krishna speaking. I contacted British Airways, who simply replied effectively, that it was a shame we didn't like the meal, even though I pointed out that these ingredients are not kosher, he said. Now, here's a continuation of, uh, it seems to me, of his quote. That means, but I think he means that he's quoting British Airways to him. Jewish passengers wanting to keep kosher should be aware of the British Airways kosher meals may contain shellfish and mollusk, which they do not want to eat, which they would not want to eat. So it sounds to me that I'm not sure how this quote came in here. It looks to me like he's quoting what they said to him. So they don't get it. And that's something that really bothers me very much, I think, unless they're just faking it. I think these airlines are not sensitized to kosher. And I'm not exaggerating. I think they're not sensitized to kosher. I think they view kosher as a food choice, as uh, you know, uh, an option, as, uh, uh, as something that you know people would like to have. They don't view it as uh, something like a person who has an allergy. They don't view it as a person who's eating something that's forbidden to them, or, or, or poisonous to them. They don't view it that way. They view it, I mean, my understanding is to everything I've dealt with, the airlines, that's how they view it, just like, oh, you were upset, or oh, you didn't like it? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So that's, that's the way I think that they're dealing with it, because if you see the settlements that they make and the toughness that they have against it, I studied it on the Internet. I saw you know, things going back pretty far back. There's no real settlements, nothing exciting happening. And, um, you know, just a, a, I'm sorry. That, that's basically what they get. Maybe they try to give you, well, you know, a little free ride to somewhere or something. But usually they don't settle for anything serious. 
and they claim it wasn't their fault, and they wiggle out of it. Um, they have lawyers, so this seems to be what, what happens in general, but uh, I don't know what's going to happen in each case. Now, the airline food kosher certificate, certificate, which has shellfish among the ingredients, I had the picture of that, the actual picture that shows the, you know, the shellfish's ingredients in the mollusks, you know, etc. A British Airways customer service representative wrote to Kushner saying, you're clearly unhappy with the quality of our food. We know how important our meal service is to our customers, especially when you have a special dietary requirement. Oh, please, please. This is what they're writing to him because they they really are not properly trained in how to talk to us. The least I should say is we understand that this is uh, that this is in violation of your religion and, and accidentally, and we feel terrible about what we caused you. This thing about we, you weren't happy with our, you were unhappy with our meals. I mean, the quality of our food, not the quality of our food. My goodness, they don't get it. They, I mean, the, the, this is the British custom, British Airways customer service representative, which means that they're, they're trained to be able to handle these things. How do they train them to handle the kosher? I don't think they were trained properly at all. She continued, this is a quote from that uh, representative, we choose our catering partners carefully and we set very high standards for food preparation. Who's saying no? Our suppliers must have strict processes in place to ensure these standards are met. What does this all mean? A British Airways uh, spokesman told Jewish News, because this is coming from a thing called Jewish News, we understand the distress that has caused our customer, and we are investigating this as a matter of urgency with our supplier. So at least, finally, somebody got it. (laughs) It took three shots at it, but somebody got it. Now, the food has a certificate that's certified by Dayan Yahya Tabul. In a statement on its website, on that's the, from the uh, Leon Bethin, it says the regional consistory, consist, consistory this is consistoire, I don't know, where, how, if, I, that's, maybe that's how you say it, it's the consistoire, and the regional Bethin have put in place a whole system of control in order to guarantee kosher irro- irreproachable to all the faithful. It adds that its kosher logo is recognized as a quality reference. Then Jewish News says, the Leon Bethin has been approached for comment. Well, nothing's been published. I didn't see anything from Jewish News. I can't find anything at all on the web. I contacted the Leon Bethin, and I asked them. I sent three different uh, email addresses to make sure I got to somebody properly, and I explained clearly what the issue is. Uh, we, We have to know this information. It's extremely important, and we hope we'll pray to find out. Now, let's just brainstorm. We know nothing about the case, so it really isn't fair to say anything, but we want to understand what does it mean. So I'm going to tell you there are four choices. Four choices. Number one, this could be not under the Bethden. It could be uh, totally came from a trafer caterer, and they just put the Bethden's name on. Okay, that's a possibility. Another one is... It comes from the best in certifying this particular place. 
but uh, the, there is no there is there is trafe in there. How could there be trafe in there? Because maybe there is more than one production line. Maybe they produce trafe and kosher, and maybe in the facility they mix it up. Number three, a possibility, is that they produce only kosher in that in, in that facility, and that company only produces kosher, but they took this. That where the words of mollusk and all the where they get that from, so it could be you know somebody was copying off something about fish stock and he he just took a he cut and paste. Okay, it's a possibility. The graphic designer didn't know what he's doing. Obviously, the Hashkocha agency did not check the ingredients, which is unfortunately par for the for the uh, for, for, you, know, you know this is a this is a common occurrence with all the different Akash agencies they don't check every label but the in the system it shouldn't have had those words if it's a if it's a kosher only establishment if the if the caterer is only doing kosher it shouldn't have been in the options so there's at least three or four possibilities maybe there's five or six it isn't good and it's important for the cashless agency to communicate with the world. If they don't answer me and they don't put anything out on the web and there's nothing, no one's responding to anybody in Jewish news and there isn't any response, I may not find out. But if there isn't, so this is bad. This is not transparent. And we're talking a lot these days about what they're doing in South Africa because that country, they were pressured. The Hashgacha was pressured. But they're responding in a beautiful manner, everything transparent. I'm looking forward to hearing the results of the uh, ACO uh, investigation that they that they uh, had and what the what they found out with their uh, testing and their uh, you know what the their lawyers had found out. But, but that's something down the road we haven't heard from them for a while. But the Yumtub was right now, so about in a week or two, I'll probably hear from them. In any event. I think that this story here makes us think a little bit. When we go in the plane, I think it's Kedai to look a second or two at your meal and not just see that it's coming to you. Kosher meal, kosher meal. Okay, yeah, I got the kosher. Thank you. And I think we should go a step further and look at the packaging a little bit better because I, I can't imagine anything crazier than being 30,000 feet in the air and you served something like this. Now, what do you do? You can't call anybody. Oh, maybe today you can. I don't know. You can. Maybe you can text. I don't know if you can. Probably not able to. And, and, and therefore, what, what are you supposed to do? You're stuck. And the frustration you have, and if you eat something like that, the frustration you have is you don't know what you have here. You just don't know. And you, and you may not find out ever, and you may not, it may take weeks to find out. So I say, look a little bit carefully when you're up in the air. <laughs> I don't want to have to hear the story. Let me tell you something that I heard today about it from a gentleman in Israel. Very interesting gentleman. He studied in the United States in Yeshiva, and uh, he's in Israel now, and, he's, and we had a very interesting conversation. I'll tell you something. He a couple things he found out. A couple things also he told me about Israel. I think it's very worthwhile hearing. Number one, He's giving me actual numbers, not, you know, guesses. He, he did research in this. In the year 2016, in the United States, 
there were 22,000 new products, new food products that came out. <coughs> I don't know what that means, if it means, I don't think it means all totally new uh, from scratch. It could mean just, you know, uh, uh, they're just new uh, UPC codes because of different sizes and boxes. I don't know what it is. But let, let's not worry about SKUs. What the, you know, let's not worry about what is the new product, right? Not how many different t- tastes you're going to have. But definitely new products in America, 22,000. Now, I'm going to tell you a number, and you're not going to believe it, but this man, and I can tell you who it is, this man did the research, and he told me the number. And there's a reason why he had to know the numbers. He said the percent of, of food in the United States in 2016, new products, not talking about old stuff, New products only. The amount of kosher was 42%. Nearly half the food in America that's coming out new is kosher. Nearly half. That is a fact in America. It's over 9,000 new kosher products. I forgot the number. I didn't write it down. I just remember the 9,000. I remember the 42%. And then in Israel, where almost 100% is kosher, they do 9,000 products a year new. So we're getting new products in America, the same number, the kosher products in America, new products kosher in America, as they're producing in Israel, which is also very interesting, which means that Israel is pretty much, in terms of kosher, as big a producer as America, or maybe bigger, I don't know, but certainly interesting, interesting similarity. He tried to get the numbers for Europe, and he said it was impossible to get the numbers. For some reason, they will not release these numbers. He was not able to get the numbers in Europe, but he knows it's far behind U.S. and Israel, but we don't know the numbers. But the numbers of America for in the year 2016, 42%. That is a number. Now, this gentleman, I'm not going to tell you what exactly he does, but he is working with one of the uh, Rabbanuts in Eretz Israel. He is doing work, I'm not going to tell you all the details about it, but w- regarding Mashkichim. And, and he told me a number, which I'd never heard the numbers before, so I'm going to share it with you. This is an interesting concept. That the store, when they hire a, a Mashkich, has to work there for a certain amount of hours or whatever, he gets 37 shekels an hour. Now, that 37 shekels an hour is not what the, the mashgiach gets. It's what the rabbanut gets. The mashgiach is paid about 30 to 32 shekels an hour, and from that he pays taxes. So he's getting less than $8 an hour, which means he's absolutely a minimum wage person. That's something important to remember because that means that he's not given that much cheshivas. Now, the particular place that he's working with, I'm not going to mention the city for a certain reason. The particular city he's working with has 260-plus different hashgachas. How many mashkichim do you think he has in total? So there are two establishments that have their on-site mashkichim. 
out of the 260 plus, there's two that have the on-site mashkichim that are there, I think, all the time, whatever. In addition to that, the, from the Rabbanut, they send out handling 260 places, they have a total of 17 mashkichim. So if you can do the work, figure it out, right? 10 stores is 170. 260 is almost 20 stores. How in the world? Okay, you decide. But this is what the mashkichim are doing, and this is what the mashkichim are getting paid. Then I said to him, but, you know, he said to me, the mashkichim, it's wild. You have mashkichim that are on top of things. They're with the best in the world. <laughs> this should be mashkichim of the year. And some of them are no-shows, very rarely showing up. They're not, I mean, you know, it's $8 an hour, right? They're not, uh, they're not working too hard. And so I said to him, well, what about the supervision? So he said to me, you know how many mefakhin they have for the 17 mashkichim and the 260-plus stores? They have two. Two people. And one of them is the head of the Kashrus agency, of the Rabbanut there, which means most of the time he spends in the office. So you have basically one man and a half, that's what I'm calling it, one and a half men, supervising 260 establishments with not a mashkiach tamidi, and the only uh, two with stores with a mashkiach tamidi, and the rest of them is 17 mashkichim who are, you know, not perfect, and they are, they're visiting these others, all these establishments supervised by one and a half people, which means, and you can figure it out yourself, and I don't want to say more. I don't know what goes on in every city, but this city I know from the inside. And uh, uh, it's it's scary. So when you go to Israel, well, you should know what to do. You don't do Rabbanut. You do you talk about Rabbanut Mahadrin if you want to on certain cities. If you want to, if you don't want to, <laughs> it could be even better. And then it, it's up to you. That's uh, certainly an issue. The Rabbanut Mahadrin is a different level. Some in some cities, not all cities. And you look for the Hamish Ashkachas, and don't look for the word Badats. Because the word badatz means nothing in Israel. Everything is a badatz. I'm a badatz, you're a badatz, everybody's a badatz. That's just a game now. You, 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 what you do is you find out who are the top hashkachas. Maybe you're going to have one handful, five of them. Maybe you're going to make seven or eight. I saw the materials that the girls get in the seminaries and the boys get in yeshivas. They hand it out to them, you know, these are recommender lists. And you'll see they have tier one, tier two, tier three. Take tier one, you're safe. Tier two, you know, you might be okay. Tier three, you're being a little bit uh, chancy, but nobody has the Rabbanuts, regular Rabbanuts listed there. No one in America, no one gives the kids from America to go to these places. But now you know why. I gave you an inside story. You're, gonna, you're never going to find this anyplace. Now, I, I told you I was going to talk about a maverick rabbi. I see I'm not going to get to my exciting story. I will get there, hopefully. If I don't, I owe it to you. 
And sometimes I pay up. <laughs> Not always. Sometimes I forget to be where the papers are, and I, and I just I have so much in my head. I go for the next ones. If you if you bother me with the email, I'll I'll pick I'll pick up the anything I missed and I didn't finish off. But this is about a maverick rabbi, and I'm working very hard on this. So let me tell you, this is a rarity. Don't get the idea that everybody's like this. But we've been talking on this show for a while now about different rabbis who are giving hashgachas on these uh, veg- vegetarian, vegan restaurants that are open on Shabbos, etc., etc., etc. And they, it's not, it's not acceptable. If you want a vegan restaurant, fine. Get get a get a full time mashgiach. You want to get a shomer shabbos owner? I don't care. Whatever you do, I'm not against vegan. I'm just against restaurants that are owned by goyim, open seven days a week with no mashgiach there, relying on certain things that should be all right. It doesn't shouldn't be a problem, and I don't think he would cheat. I think it's absolutely ridiculous because you don't put meat in there. It doesn't mean you couldn't have the mollusks. And there's, oh, he doesn't do it because he's vegan. That's First of all, he's telling you he's vegan. We don't know what he really is. And and secondly, it's again and again and again they've been cheating even in a vegan restaurant. And you get the deal, deal about bishalakum. There's a lot of stuff that's very interesting, bishalakum. And even though people tell you, oh, you know, bishalakum, we don't really have bishalakum. Yeah, well, there are some vegetables that a bishal akum 150%. And, and everybody knows that in the industry. Let, let, let's, let's, let's go back to the square one. Here's our gentleman. I'm going to read to you some of his accomplishments. He's a very young rabbi. By the way, he's not alone. There's a, there are a group of them in America. Very few, but a group. And I'm trying, I can't stamp it out. I'm trying to change them as, as much as I can. I communicate with them. I communicate with other people about them. I try to get pressure put on them. I'm dreaming that they'll see the light and say, you know, for the goodness of our people, that they shouldn't get confused and be led down a dark road to end up in the hands of conservative Judaism, that we should uh, make the, may draw the line here. And that's that's what I'm I'm dreaming. Unfortunately, I'm losing. <laughs> and the, the, here's, the, here's the story. So here's one man... Very young, and two years ago he started giving ashkocha on a group of restaurants that the local vod considered unacceptable. So he took them over. He has Gvinas Akam over there. He's non-Jewish cheese over there. They're open on Shabbos, and he's a member of the vod, but he's going behind the back of the vod, and they they refuse to give these places ashkocha, and he grabs them up. But let give you another one. This I have to be a little careful when the, in the radio here. Um, he's a proponent of same gender unions. No explanation. Um, and he also is in support of conservative day schools. So he's really, really, really pushing it. And this is a person giving Ashkocha. And we have to decide if we're going to keep him in the list of kosher organizations or we're just going to sign him off, drop him out. We've had to drop out some people because of lack of uh, performance of orthodoxy. Uh, People who 
prayed in non-Orthodox synagogues, that other things, we had to drop them out and consider them non-Orthodox. And we get to this kind of gray area over here. I don't know if it's gray or not, but we get to this area. You know, everyone who's quoted Rav Salvatric, I know for a fact that Rav Salvatric permitted at one time craft cheese. I know because a cousin of mine who was in a leadership capacity in a, uh, in a camp was told by Rav Salavatric that you, he could use cheese, the craft cheese. Not told by somebody else, told by Rav Salvatric, and my cousin told me this. And I just saw a video from the OU, I think it is, or no, so maybe, I'm not sure if it's the OU, I think it's the OU, and there was a gentleman they have over there, I'm not going to mention his name, who's an older gentleman, goes back to the time with Rav Salavatric, was close to Rav Salavatric, and Rav Salavatric told him, we no longer use the Kraft cheese. From now on, we should be using only with kosher certification. That's what he told this rabbi. He's an old rabbi today, very famous rabbi. If you ask me off the line, I'll, I'll give you the rabbi's name. I'll get you the contact. Everything I have it, but I'm, I don't want to go there now. But he told us that he, he's told everybody. You can see the video. I think it was a video. No, I think it's just a no, it's an audio. The OU, and no, it's is it OU or YU. I'm not sure. I think it's YU. I think the Yeshiva University. It's a, a video. It's an audio. That's what it is. Um, and he. Told, he told us clearly that Rosalavetri told him, no longer can we use the craft cheeses. No longer can we use none. We need to use with Ashkacha. And we're talking back in the 50s and 60s. Now, what do you need this for? This stuff is available. What would be so terrible if this gentleman would say, we're going to listen to a story. You won't believe this. There's a gentleman, I'm not going to tell you where he lives. He was brought up Orthodox. I'm not asking where he prays today, okay? We're not going to ask him that question. But his job is to give Hashkocha, not, not as a Rav Machshir, but as a supervisor of Kashrus for two conservative synagogues. They have him as their Kashrus administrator. And the people over there very far away from where I am right now, the other side of the country. It, the, the people in those conservative synagogues are saying to him, so-and-so, why do you need hashkocha on cheese? The conservative movement's not requiring it. Why do we need hashkocha on cheese? Let's use regular cheese. And he says, no, it's not kosher. And he called me up to, to talk to me about it because he wanted to make sure that he's not wrong in, 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 in stressing it. I said, no, 100%. And I told him reasons why. He said, I'm right. Yes, you're 100% right. And he goes back to them and he tells them under no circumstances. And you know what he told me? They went along with him. They went along with him. A conser- He's in the conservative movement, working in the conservative movement. And, he beg- and they come to him and they tell him we shouldn't have to require hashkach on cheese. And he says, no, you do. And they said, okay. And here's a rabbi purporting himself to be an Orthodox rabbi, an Orthodox synagogue. And he's and he's telling the people, he's telling, he's not telling, he's doing. He says to the stores, you don't need kosher cheese. No problem. I'll read to you. I'm going to read to you, but of course I'm leaving out his name. This is the actual email that I have. 
from one of the stores, one of the uh, restaurants. The cheese we use is from, okay, I'm not going to mention, it uses a vegetarian rennet. It's not certified kosher, but Rabbi X is considering it kosher. He considers it kosher. Rabbi Soloveitchik didn't consider it acceptable. This fellow who works in the conservative movement is telling everybody it's not acceptable, but this Orthodox rabbi wants everybody. Now, let me tell you behind the scenes of what happened. This gentleman has a friend, and this his friend, when I contacted him over this whole issue, he said, you know what? Uh, let's have a dialogue in Cautious Magazine. You'll, I'll present my position, and you'll present your position. <laughs> I said, no, it's not, op- it's, not, it's not open for discussion. Halacha is not open for discussion. We go with Torah and Gedol Yisrael and Poiskim and Rabbonim and, Rosh Hashim and, and Yeshivas and, and, and Shulchan Aruch. We don't go with whatever you got. And we're not going to open it up to discussion. Should we? Should we do this? Shouldn't we do it? Oh, come on. What is this? It's, 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 this is open for discussion? Absolutely not. Kalai Yisrael doesn't need it, and we have to extricate it from us, our midst. If you know anybody who's doing this, you have to try as much as possible. And I'm working very hard at it to stop it. Will I be successful? Who knows? But I'm not going to give up. Leads me to my last topic, which I really have. I can tell you I could do a book on it. It's so exciting, and I hope and pray I'll be able to bring these papers back and tell you a little next time. But it's, 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 it's unbelievable. This company, I'll give you at least the top of it. It's called Impossible Burger. It's come from a company called Impossible Foods. It is possible they made it. Now, it just got to OU a week ago. This thing is big. They didn't just start today. They have 1,500 restaurants that use the Impossible Burger. They're spending a fortune of money. They've raised, I know, I mean, I'm scared to tell you all the details because you're going you're gonna to start wanting to know how to get the money. That They've raised hundreds of millions of dollars to this thing. It's extraordinary. Here, you, you listen to this? I'm quoting. It raked in more than $250 million from investors, including Bill Gates, are behind this impossible burger. <laughs> and, and, they, and they have uh, the most fancy restaurants in the country, not McDonald's, the fancy restaurants, they're using this and they're doing it. Now, what is important to us? Because you're going to have this offered to you in the near future. Currently, you couldn't buy it unless you walked into a Trefer restaurant. But there's no question kosher restaurants are going to get it. And there's no question that they're going to start producing it in a way you could buy it in the store. They said it so in the material that I got. They're ready, standing ready to go put it into the grocery stores. And there's no question that they're going to put cheese on it and call it a kosher cheeseburger. There's no question about this. It's not, it's not an issue. This is going to be it. And the stuff tastes very close to meat. That's the whole chap. They use a thing called heme, which is like hemoglobin. It's in blood. It's the stuff that gives the juicy, flavory, bloody taste, the look and taste. And it's in, it also grows in vegetables. There's also, you know, in, in vegetables, they have the heme also. 
and they take it from the vegetables. And they use the whole preparation here. I could go on. I don't have the time for it. But they, they produce it in a way. I've see, you can see it on video. You see them producing it. And it's when they make that burger, it's so juicy and it's so bloody red. And, and, it, and they have the heme with the taste in it, the savory taste of it. And when, they t- and when, they, when you make the, 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 the burger that way, the whole thing is oozing this, this flavor of, the, you know, blood and what can I tell you? The people are going crazy over it. Some argue that it's not real, like tastes like meat. Okay, fine, well, it isn't meat. <laughs> Some people say it's close call but not good enough. You know, it's just it's like it, it's not good enough. Okay, fine, whatever it is. But this, but they got fifteen hundred restaurants, so they're satisfying somebody. <laughs> you know, it's a whole discussion topic of what, of what they're doing and, and how they're doing it. But there's a little problem. The FDA won't approve it, and we're going to be eating it, and we're going to have a problem also with the with the Maris iron of the cheeseburger, and we're going to have a question if they make it even with a parva cheese, and this is parva. Are we going to call it a cheeseburger? And we're going to go into a restaurant. You're going to find the word cheeseburger on the restaurant, a, a part of a restaurant, you know, let's say a fish place, uh, you know, a dairy place, a meat place. Are we going to see that word cheeseburger all over the place? So this is a challenge. This is a new challenge that's happening right under our noses. It just came up this week. And I predict that we're all going to confront it very seriously someday, unless the FDA closes it down. And from what I'm reading, they're going to survive. And they could not only survive, they could probably, if they wanted to, they could change the process, and they would avoid a lot of the, the shilas they have on it. But there's definitely a shila. It's definitely exciting. But the the people who are you know the, who write about this, there's a tremendous amount of material on this company, in the Impossible Burger. And one of the things that they, they're writing is they're saying, you shouldn't be trying to do this. What they're trying to do is copy meat. You're never going to be able to copy meat. It's this not going to be meat. So it's going to be almost as good, kind of like, but you're not going to be able to, to get the same. So give up. What you should do instead is something that just tastes good. And there's a fellow who makes a burger. Uh, I don't think it has a shkocha, but there's a fellow who's making a burger. I have it here in my notes, but I have to take five minutes to find it. He, this fellow makes a burger. Uh, uh, do I get it? No, this is another thing here. There's a that this fellow makes a burger um, which tastes nothing like like uh, like like meat, but it's an absolutely awesome taste. And people love it. It's a cheese. I'm sorry. It's a vegetable uh, sandwich kind of thing, but it has an extremely exciting taste. It's absolutely delicious. It has a savory taste, and it, and it has uh, it has some of the qualities of meat. It has uh, it, it, it has a, it's a mixture of crisp and soft. Has charring. Has a high. It has a lot of salt and a lot of. Umami, umami is a meat-like taste. It's like a savory taste. A non, uh, they have a lot of grease, especially uh, the, 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 the uh, and, and basically the vegetable-based sandwich. But it tastes, you know, it, it gives you the feel of having something equivalent to a burger, but not having the burger. And that's an, an option that people are, su- are suggesting. And uh, the question is, you know, what's the future 
of the Impossible Burger. I really don't care. But uh, what's important for us is how it's going to affect our lives. And my prediction, it will affect it in two ways. One is people will start eating cheeseburgers much more commonly. Um, and, oh, yeah, you might get a Hamish Hashgacha on top of it, too, if you want, <laughs> if you need it. So that might happen, too. But, but they're going to start producing cheeseburgers in a, in, a, in, a, in a dramatic way if it really is so exciting, because they're saying it's pretty exciting. So if so, they're going to be starting to do that. They'll see it, in, and you'll see it on menus. And the question will come up for Maris Ayan and also the Taiva. Are we supposed to have the Taiva for Basa B'cholov? Is that what we're supposed to have a Taiva for? Yes, Hashem said, he's going. the Gemara says in Hulin that everything, Hashem gives you another taste or something like it. Yeah, it's true. You know, go have a kal, go have the uh, udders. That, that's what the Gemara says. But you want to have something that's a cheeseburger. You're not interested in udder, you want a cheeseburger. Okay, so you, does that mean we're supposed to look for it? But the Gemara didn't say you're supposed to run after that flavor. Because one of them talks about Aishas uh, Ish, and it says, Gusha Bechaye Baila. So that doesn't, uh, that doesn't translate as something we're supposed to want. Definitely not supposed to want that. The Gemara in, in, in Gittin talks against it, uh, the famous Misa uh, we learn on Tisha B'av. I'm not going to go into the details because it's, it's an evening program here. Yeah, but let's just understand, we shouldn't be seeking tithers. Last week we talked about nausea. In the Kriyasa Torah we talked about nausea. And why does a nausea become a nausea? It's the Torah says, Kiafli. He becomes a Pella, a strange thing. And the Ibn Ezra says, why is the word Pella used? Because he says, everybody else is going after Tava. Everyone else is going after the desires. And this man is saying no to his desires, and he's giving up wine. It's not Jewish to run after cheeseburgers. It's not Jewish to put it on the menu, cheeseburger. It's just not Jewish. It's the wrong thing. And hopefully, when this Nisayun comes up, which I expect will happen very soon, I expect it will be in within months or in a year or so. And maybe I'll remember to mention it again. Hopefully, that when it comes up, I'll mention it again. But we have to stand up to that test. We're, we're, the, the show is almost over, and, and anybody who would like to contact me, you can do that. We, we have just finished and come out with the kosher travel guide. Everybody needs it this time of year. If you want to get it, it's $9. It'll be in the stores. Some stores, very few stores are carrying right now. We don't have many much, much distribution in the stores. Basically, you're going to be able to buy it from us, or you can get a subscription. I'll give you the number, 718-336-8544, 718-336-8544, or Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com, or you can go to our website, kashrusmagazine.com, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, magazine.com. You can order the 2018 Kosher Supervision, uh, Kosher Travel Guide, even if it doesn't show it the picture yet on the website, you can order it there. We're sending you, obviously going to send you the latest issue. And uh, if you, you want to do preparing for going away for the summer, and it's, you can use it all year long, it's 154 pages. It's 360 cities across the United States. 120 pages just of the information, plus the regular magazine is included there. So you get a tremendous amount of material, more than we do in any other issue, and it's the largest issue we've ever done. So I think we once did have one that, one that size before. 
So uh, you can uh, definitely, uh, it's a good time to call us now. Uh, you can leave a message anytime, 24 hours a day, 718-336-8544. And until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine, wishing you a wonderful week.